Hey friends, welcome to Waterworks episode number 14 of our podcast, specifically in season two, discussing evil and spiritual warfare and how we can combat that and work for good in our world through different ways. Waterworks Ministries is a ministry of equipping, um, empowerment, knowledge, and nurture. We offer spiritual direction, coaching, training, retreats, workshops, and we also do anti-human trafficking advocacy and awareness training. So if you're interested in learning more or signing up for a spiritual direction or coaching session, you can check out our website at www.waterworksministries.org and hit us up through the Contact Us page. We'll get an email and then be in contact with you through phone, text, or email. Now into our episode. Here's a little bit of background regarding the episode that you're going to hear today. We have Dr. Mary Beth Morrison, who is a personal friend of mine as our guest today. She and I have known each other for over 10 years at this point, and we both happen to be United Methodist. And one of the things that is important in the United Methodist flavor of Christianity is our baptismal vows. And our baptismal vows were part of the inspiration for season two's podcast. And so I'm going to read two of the questions to you so you have an idea of the background of this. The first is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? And either you or your parents, if you're an infant, are supposed to answer, I do. The second question is, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And so today's podcast is going to talk about how we go and understand why there's evil in this world and part of how we go about rejecting or fighting against that evil. We're going to look at sections of Greg Boyd's book, Satan and the Problem of Evil, Constructing a Trinitarian Warfare Theodicy. And so some of the material might be a little dense, but I encourage you to stick with it because we talk about a whole range of things from freedom, risk, uh, to moral responsibility, and how all of these things connect and intertwine and interweave with who we are in this world as created beings, loved, and with great capacity to love and great capacity to do evil. So without further ado, here is Dr. Mary Beth Morrison and me, your host, Karen Weiss, talking about Satan and the problem of evil. Hey friends, welcome to the Waterworks Podcast. We are in season two, and with me today is Dr. Mary Beth Morrison. She is a former professor, um, assistant, professor. assistant professor at Penn State University, and she's going to be here. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, free will versus blueprint 
Theology and Worldview, based on our reading of Satan and the Problem of Evil, Constructing a Trinitarian Warfare Theodicy, there's a title for you, by Gregory A. Boyd. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about, you know, the difference um, between blueprint and free will uh, theodicy and what that means for us in our daily lives. So welcome, Mary Beth. Thank you, Karen. It's uh, it's good to be here with you today as we wade through this tome of things that you assigned me to read. <laughs> and I went, woo, this is interesting. Yeah. I think both of us, when we got the book, did not realize how thick it was. Um, but it was a really interesting read. And so we're going to be talking about the ideas in the book. So Mary Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about your growing up and how blueprint theory or worldview was a part of that. Sure. Um, in this book, one of the things that Boyd does is he juxtaposes uh, a common viewpoint that the church has had for a long time that he dubs the blueprint theory or the blueprint worldview. And then he comes up with this new worldview, which is the warfare worldview. And like a lot of people, I grew up, I grew up Catholic and uh, very much was, a, I don't want to say victim, that's a bad word, very much was a participant in the blueprint worldview, which says that pretty much everything is ordained in it. He talks about it coming from Augustine and that if stuff happens, that it must be God's will. And we've all heard the platitudes, you know, Oh, God must make you go through this because something good is going to come out of it. And while I, you know, I do believe that God redeems evil or bad circumstances um, when he can, I don't believe that God causes these things to happen just so he can teach us a lesson or... So I kind of, even as I was growing up in that, I always felt it didn't line up with what I knew of Jesus, even as a small child. Hmm. And... And I think that in some cases, the blueprint worldview has allowed us to shirk our responsibility for what our role is in co-partnering with God in acts of mercy and love and justice and kindness. Um, and if we take that worldview, I think we can just sit back and be very fatalistic in how we look at the way things play out. So when I was growing up, that was very common. And... Uh, there were some things that happened in in my life that I think made me early on go, this can't be all there is. But I didn't have anything else at the time. Well, and you grew up in New England. Yes. Which was settled by the Pilgrims. Correct. And a very, very puritanical worldview. Right. Regardless of, I think, what flavor or persuasion of Christianity Right. Were. Yeah. Yes. And I grew up in the early 60s and Catholicism was not hugely uh, popular in that area, but it was big enough and big enough event in our lives that when John F. Kennedy was elected president, that was a big thing because Catholics never thought there'd be a Catholic president. Mm. So think about that through a blueprint worldview. Mm. <laughs> That's a very interesting um, thought. 
But uh, so it was a very, you know, growing up in the 60s, it was the beginning of when the church was starting to say Vatican II. So I left the church in second grade because after I made First Communion, I refused to go back because the nuns were mean. And I got enough of that at home. I didn't want to have to experience it at church, too. So I wouldn't go back. And then I started going back when I was in sixth or seventh grade with my sister. And it was after Vatican II. And there was a marked change in the Catholic Church at that time with uh, the way they approached things. And that was when they were doing folk masses and they, they were trying to be, it almost was more of a Jesuit influence at that point. And so it was, um, I'm still very influenced by Jesuits. I really like um, Father, James Father, Father James Martin and, um, you know. Yeah. Ignatius is my homeboy. Yeah. I like Ignatius a lot. I like, I like that viewpoint of the world and it very much does not fit the blueprint mm -mm. worldview that everything is ordained and God allows things to happen and while when we look at this our forces make yeah. things to happen yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that 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 doesn't that doesn't fit with what I read in scripture mm -hmm. and it doesn't fit with what I see in the nature of Christ so so say a little bit more about your family, because um, I think a story that you told me about the Irish Catholic influence is really interesting. When the Irish Catholics came here, they were used for labor, but they were not accepted as um, people of worth because they were Catholic and the Protestants believed they were pagan and didn't believe that they were Christian at all. So there was Christians and there were Catholics. And yeah, it's, I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. So in that time frame, uh, my grandmother came here in the early 1910s, 1900s, that second decade of the, the 1900s. And um, the Klan was very active at that time. And I can remember her telling the story about how uh, the Klan had come through town and they had had a rally and they found out about my grandmother being Catholic and that night they came back and burned a cross on her front lawn and the kids were afraid that they were going to come back and kill them. So that impacted a lot of their early experiences and going into the next decade when the kids were all like middle school age, uh, they were very poor because of the depression. Mm. And so they didn't have a lot. And when you have a scarcity mindset like that, and you have competition for jobs and some of the other pieces of racism that had already been introduced because of, you know, if you're being persecuted, there's got to be somebody else that you can put at the bottom of that rung. I grew up in a very racist family. And um, that never made sense to me either. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I, I think I lived in some little bubble <laughs> that I'm not sure what influenced it or how it came about, but I lived in some little bubble where those things in my family did not permeate my worldview. And mm -hmm. I, I can only attribute that to God. I can't mm -hmm. imagine any other reason for that happening. And it was not even that they didn't permeate it, but you, 
seem to reject them. Like yeah. even in second grade, you know, <laughs> oh, the nuns are mean to me. But there had to, you know, there was more to it than, you know, just that. There was something inside of you saying, mm, I don't buy this. Right. You know, so so that to me is, is God at work. Um, well, God's all over your story. It's it's a beautiful story, but we won't go into that because that would take eighteen podcast episodes, <laughs> and you and I would be the only ones listening to it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about the blueprint worldview. Um, so I'll break it down, and I'll say. In the Protestant tradition, it's very much a separation between Calvinists um, and, you know, we'll say Presbyterians, uh, a lot of Baptists. Um, those generally fit under the umbrella of Calvinism. Um, Wesleyan and Methodists are very free will oriented. Wesley was a big... Uh, cheerleader for personal responsibility, I would say. Um, in addition to the grace of God, there was always the grace of God, but then we had to, you know, do our stuff. We had to make a, a difference in our own lives. Um, so the blueprint theology or worldview fits more into, I'll say the Calvinist understanding of life in terms of ordination, well, not ordination like clergy ordination, but preordination or predestination that God set the world in motion and he might intervene what we think is arbitrarily. However, it's all for a purpose and everything that happens is because God made it so. So if it's good, God made it so. If it's bad, God made it so. And as a clergywoman in the United Methodist Church, uh, you can probably guess which side I fall on. <laughs> I wouldn't have got through ordination if I had been a blueprint worldview person. Uh, but one of the things that is so hard for people is to switch or to help understand, well, why, why would God let this happen? Um, and so... Boyd outlines several things for his Trinitarian Warfare Theodicy. Um, Which sounds like a Star Wars trilogy. It does. It's fantastic. <laughs> the name, I I smile every time I say Trinitarian Warfare Theodicy. Because <laughs> it sounds, it, you know, but that is a very descriptive uh, phrase for what he's talking about. So... Boyd outlines six things that fall under this theodicy worldview. The first is that love entails freedom. The second, freedom entails risk. And the third is that risk entails moral responsibility. And so we're going to talk a little bit about those things and maybe do some comparing and contrasting between the blueprint and the free will discussion. So Mary Beth, you had commented to me that 
Boyd's discussion of these things helped you put some pieces into place. It did, because I grew up with these platitudes. That's one of the things he discussed at the beginning, mm. um, is that often the blueprint worldview is, is you hear it coming from people who um, have been taught this as part of that worldview. God has his reasons. There's a purpose for everything. Um, his ways are not our ways. Um, these are acts of God. And, you know, we talked about being taken from Augustine, who encouraged Christians who had been victimized by others to find consolation in the knowledge that their oppressors could not have harmed them as they did unless God allowed it for greater good. And when I read that, I think, that's not my God. That's just mm. crazy talk. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around why any... Why would anyone follow a God like that? And I think people really do struggle with that. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have left the faith because of things like this. And I can remember as a young adult saying these stupid things mm. because mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's what I heard. That was how, that was what the worldview imprinted. Mm -hmm. In this worldview, <laughs> which talks about God as having uh, created this warfare worldview, it assumes that there's warfare going on. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing about having free will, meaning that God chose to create us with free will, so that of our free will, we would love God. Mm -hmm. That means that we can choose not to love God. Yes. So that in and of itself would make me go back to the blueprint worldview and say, you know, if a God created us so that we had a choice, that we had to choose to participate in this relationship, why would a God that wants us to choose to love him or her decide that everything would be preordained? It doesn't, I mean, it's the opposite. So if we have free will, we can't be predestined to anything except what the end result is supposed to be, which is that God eventually wins the war and mm -hmm. the world is restored. And I, the first um, statement, I guess, that love entails freedom, you know, we have this thing in, I guess, psychology, maybe, called the Stockholm Syndrome. Right. Where you choose to love your <laughs> captor. You, you choose to love your captor. That wouldn't be in... The psychology fat book, whatever version it's up to now, six or seven. DSM. The DSM. You know, Stockholm Five. Syndrome would not be in there if, you know, there wasn't some understanding that love requires freedom. Right. Right. So we would just be a whole bunch of captive people to a God that I don't think really loved us in the fullest sense of that word, in what right. theologians have said for thousands of years, that love would not be possible. Well, think about this. This God wanted so much for us to experience love that he gave us free will and decided that the risk hmm. of creating beings that could choose to love God or not 
was worth it. Mm -hmm. And that to me says this God has a bigger understanding than just putting a rule in order and saying, here's the rules. Here's how we're going to play the game. Here's mm -hmm. how the outcome's going to be. And your life is preordained from point A to point Z. Mm -hmm. And these things are going to happen to you. And I might throw some lightning bolts here and there to spur you on or make you grow, which is another part of the blueprint mm -hmm. worldview of suffering is to help you grow. And while we do usually grow through suffering, I don't think that's the point of it. Yeah. I think God suffers with us. Oh, I think so too. And why would God create a world where God knew that God's self would be suffering throughout the whole thing? Right. Why do that to yourself? Right. <laughs> Yes. Like, that's like me trying it's very to sadistic. become. Oh, it's very sadistic. It's like, why would I, you know, I could try to be a gymnast right now and literally torture myself to try to be a gymnast. Why would I do that? I'm short enough, but <laughs> I'm like 30, you know, potentially 30 pounds too heavy <laughs> and have no skill. Yeah. Yeah, there is that no skill part thing that comes into that. And I think that that's, you know, that plays into it too. When we're talking about if love requires freedom, then freedom requir requires risk. Mm -hmm. And it's not just us that mm -hmm. risk, it's God. Mm -hmm. And to think that God takes risks was an aha moment for me. Mm -hmm. It's like, God takes risks? Well, of course God. I mean, it was quickly followed by, well, yeah, of course mm -hmm. God takes risks. Because if you create this crazy creature that has the ability to snub their nose at you, you're taking a pretty big risk. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if people like to hear that. Well, no parent likes to hear that. Mm. You know, and if we're looking at God as parent, no parent or spouse or anybody that's a close relationship, sibling or whatever, wants to hear that the person that you have poured all your love into could decide to walk away from it. Mm -hmm. That's a really huge risk. Loving is a huge risk. Loving mm -hmm. someone is a huge risk because it may not be reciprocated. Mm -hmm. And God created us and created everything out of love, knowing that in order to make that work, there had to be free will and in that comes risk. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just kind of blew my mind when it finally all, it was like the Tetris blocks were clicking in my head and that one slotted into place and it was like, bing, 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 bing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> there you go, there's like your the sound effect. Sound effect. <laughs> that sounds like a slot machine in me. Oh yeah. Bing, 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 you <laughs> yeah. in. That would just be my computer making noise <laughs> at my command. Um, but yeah, so, and then that gets us into what I will call the traditional theological triangle of who God is, where God is all good, all powerful, and all knowing. <laughs> and depending on your stance, and this goes I've read several different theologians on their view, and one part of the triangle always seems to get shortened 
in that where, you know, some people say that, well, God can't be all knowing if there's this much suffering or God is not all good if there's this much suffering or God is not all powerful if there's this much suffering. And what's interesting to me um, from what Boyd is saying is that because love entails freedom and because freedom entails risk, that there's an inherent self-limiting aspect of God. Yes. He has chosen to put himself in a box mm. or a covenant, if we want to use the fancy schmancy religious term. Jewish term. <laughs> Jewish term. Um, he's chosen to put himself inside some parameters where if he acts other than within those parameters, it risks his integrity mm. for the rules that he has set up for chaos and order. And a lot of people will struggle with that part because it does say that in some cases God cannot intervene. Mm -hmm. And for some people, that's heresy. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking heretical now. Well, I <laughs> like to say cases. God chooses not to intervene. Right, because it would, it would affect his integrity yeah. for how he set up the covenant. Mm -hmm. And so there are times when he does not intervene. But that's because the more he intervenes, the less free will we have. Mm -hmm. And so it's a struggle of the tension between free will, love, and intervention to halt suffering. Mm -hmm. And for me, just going to the point where we realize God is not causing the suffering, mm -hmm. but sometimes he doesn't intervene in it because it would mean treading on the covenant of love, free will, and moral responsibility, because that's the next piece. And the next piece is that there's a moral responsibility to this, which means we have to act. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes if it's like with a child, if you always step in when you've got a child that should be stepping in for themselves, that child will never learn to take responsibility for the things in that child's life that they need to. So God has to kind of do the same thing with us. And because of that, because there's a relationship, mm -hmm. sometimes there is suffering that God doesn't intervene in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that goes to the spiritual realm as well. It's not just with us physically. Mm. And the matter, we'll say M-A-T-T-E-R, that God has created but also with, um, with the potential for evil agents, we will call them. And one of the things that I found interesting was Boyd's discussion of warfare in the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, that was fascinating. And I, and I, I think we need to address something before we get into this sure. piece. And that's that in the worldview we have diminished the role of Satan and evil mm. to the point where people now don't believe that they think Satan is a metaphor for something. And this does not 
this book does clearly believes that Satan was, uh, well, the, the discussion of Satan that I found fascinating in all of this was that he said, something that has great capacity to do evil was created with great capacity to, to do good and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And they chose to go in that direction. So this talks about Satan as being an angel who had great capacity to do good and chose not to and walked mm -hmm. away and influences the world through the angel realm and the warfare that's going on in the angel realm. Some people are going to check out at this point and go, that's ooga booga crap. <laughs> and I'm not going there. Um, but if you believe in God, you have to believe there's also evil. There can't just be one entity. I mean, physics and quantum physics tell us yeah. that. Quantum physics, physics tells you that if you have matter in one spot, Rob Bell did this and is everything is spiritual. If you have matter on one coast and then you have another piece of matter on the other coast and you change the direction of it, the one on the opposite coast will automatically change its direction. There's a yin and a yang. There's a there's an for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction that's how the world is created that's the law of physics there's a lot of science that goes into all of this mm -hmm. so it's not just ooga booga pagan yeah. angel demonology talk it's part of scripture and it's very clear in scripture how that relationship works and even if you don't want to assign you know satan as some kind of personified being We'll say, I think we can all agree that there is a force mm -hmm. of evil that that is at work in this world that we cannot explain. Absolutely, like, and it's not God. Yeah, and it, yes, and it's not God. In the Trinitarian war, war, <laughs> I can't even say it anymore. <laughs> It's a mouthful. <laughs> the Trinitarian warfare theodicy. God is not responsible for the evil that happens. So, yeah, let's talk about how Jesus interacted with this force for evil. And one of the things that struck me, um, and if you end up getting the book, it is on page 35, was that Jesus never disputes or corrects Satan for saying that Satan has the power to give Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. Yes. That I, for whatever reason, that struck me in this. And it did me too. When I read that, I went, oh, he never said, you don't have the right to give this to me which means he agreed that Satan was in control. Mm -hmm. had, had free reign. Had free reign. Yeah. Well, has, has free reign? Had all has. of the above. <laughs> has free reign. Has free reign. As evidenced by many things that are going on in the world today. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just interesting how he, how Boyd ties all of this in and as someone who is somewhat of a word nerd, the fact that he brings in the Greek. Yeah, that to, too. Yes. To say. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you pronounce that. Do you know how to pronounce that in the Greek? No. You I'm don't going have to a say Greek person. Archon. Archon. Um, it could be Archon. Um, but we'll go with Archon. Archon, maybe. 
A-R-C-H-O-N, uh, where Jesus refers to Satan as the, the prince, which is right. what our, our shown means. The highest official in the city or region. Yeah. He's acknowledging that he's the head of all evil to me. And that's, yeah. that's how I took that, mm. that he's mm -hmm. acknowledging him as the head of all evil. And if that is the case, then Jesus really is Satan's number one enemy. Correct. So, Which is why he so badly wanted him on his side. Yeah. So that whole thing is really quite interesting in how Jesus responds. He never, and you know, we can say, oh, well, that was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> they still thought that the earth was the center of the universe. Hmm. I'm going to give Jesus as the Messiah the credit here. <laughs> um, even though he wasn't, you know, trying to get people to understand how the universe was actually oriented, there's something to be said for acknowledging, having Jesus acknowledge the other team on the field or the existence of evil in a way that acknowledges it, but also does not give it full power correct and so we have jesus demonstrating the kingdom of god and like all of these different scripture passages where jesus casts out demons or you know makes people right again right and i think there, for people who are very skeptical we can read scripture and be like eh that's not, you know, I'm not okay with that. Well, I think when you were mentioning makes people well again, one of the things that I think the Blueprint worldview did that is still kind of evident today is to say that um, illness and deformities and all of that were because someone committed a sin. And so oh. people with mm -hmm. disabilities from a... My background is in special education and criminal justice administration, and then later in workforce education and development. So for me, when I did my dissertation, one of the earliest pieces that I found related to this was that when children with disabilities were born, and if you read scripture, you'll read about all the different gates that are mm -hmm. around the city. They would be taken and they would be put out in the outside gate where all of the refuse was left mm. to die. They were left there to die or people would take them out in the woods if they weren't in the city and just leave them to die. And in the early time of the Christians, they would go out and gather these children and bring them back mm. and take care of them. So that to me was a very interesting dichotomy. And then since we mentioned my puritanical New England roots, one of the first laws we passed in um, when the Puritans came here was something called the old deluder Satan laws, which meant that you had the right, if you thought your child was possessed, to put them to death. And that may sound horrible to our ears, but there was no concept of childhood at that time. Mm. Once you were no longer a baby anymore, you worked and you were a part of the, you know, workforce and all of that thing. So we're now getting into another podcast that we're mm -hmm. going to do later on. But that piece really ties into this whole idea of that 
blueprint worldview where sin is looked at as something other than what it is. Mm. And so when we start looking at healing and all of that, we have to realize that that was miracles and it wasn't removing sin, it was removing infirmities. Mm. And that's even borne out with the disciples saying to Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. Mm -hmm. It was so I could yes. show you something. Yes. Mm -hmm. So just, just for our listeners, if you're <laughs> listening to this and you're hearing that, that is not in this scripture. Yeah. But that is part of that worldview. Mm -hmm. And so we have, we have angels created beings of all kinds with free will. It reminds me of, I'm a Big Bang Theory person, <laughs> and I don't know if you remember the episode, but there's an episode where Penny and Sheldon get into a huge fight, and they go back and forth, it deals with laundry, and Penny's undergarments end up on the telephone line outside of Sheldon's apartment. Well... Leonard comes over and gives Penny Sheldon's mother's phone number. And so Penny ends up calling Sheldon's mom and then Sheldon's mom calls Sheldon and then Sheldon gets a talking to. Well, after Sheldon apologizes to Penny, he looks at her and says, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> well played. Well played. Yes. Well played. And I think that that to me is kind of the essence of this moral responsibility. Yes. It's like if you have this kind of power, which this worldview would say that we do, what are we going to do with it? And how are we going to impact others for good? So, yes. And then the flip side of that is, oh, and you have free will. So you mm. get to that power and go riding off on your high horse and you great, great evil. evil. Mm -hmm. And that's the paradox that we live in is that we have that choice. And God took the risk of what this world would look like because he wanted us to have the free will to love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about that before I ask my next, my next question? About the free will to love? Um, or moral responsibility. Oh. How that impacts life. Because that could be its whole podcast right. episode. <laughs> um, well, I mean, one of the things that Boyd says related to that is when you've got when you have this moral responsibility and you've got this creator that wants to love you, they want to be in relationship with you. Mm. So it's about, it's about a relationship and it's about building that relationship. And, and he makes the comment in one of the chapters and I don't remember which, that it's not the mystery of an unknowable God, but that of an unknowable creation. Hmm. What stuck out to you with that? Another friend of ours, Renee Ford, who will be on a different it was podcast. A different podcast. Yes. We both have a friend in common who has said 
in a book, and I'm quoting her, her name is Teresa Flint, the creator can't stand apart from the creation. Mm. And when I read that, I thought of, I thought of her. Mm. And I think it's easier for us to wrap our head around a God of love than to understand the chaos in the world. And I think where we're looking at the moral responsibility that comes into that when we're, when we're dealing with chaos and we're seeing all the things that go around, swirl around, we've had Hurricane Harvey and now we're having Irma that's supposed to hit Florida and we've had a mudslide that in India in, and in Haiti, where was it? a few weeks ago oh the mudslide sierra leone mm. that killed just came down and smacked a whole village down and killed a whole lot of people we see those natural disaster things but then we also see you know some of the other things that go on with um you and i are involved in human trafficking stuff and that's another whole podcast but awful evil things in the world our moral responsibility to those as cre creatures creations of this living God mm. is to stand back and go, this creation is horrible. Why are we living in this mess? And in the blueprint worldview, we can just go, well, God must have a reason for it. And it absolves yeah. us for that relationship, for that interacting. Mm. And in this worldview, we're participants. And if we're seeing that go on, and we've been given great capacity for great good. We need to think about what our response is in that and what we respond to because we can't respond to everything. Yeah. So in all of this, we have to figure out in this relationship with the creator what our moral responsibility really is and what it's to. Because mm -hmm. every day we create things that make this, we do things, little things we don't even think of that contribute to. He mentions at one point the butterfly effect where, mm -hmm. you know, we can't be responsible for all of those things. But what things are we responsible for? And I think that's the question mm -hmm. that comes in at the end of this. Then what are we called into yeah. in this relationship? Not, like you said, not everyone is called. We, we can't physically care about everything. Right. We'd be exhausted and neurotic. and <laughs> Yeah. And we would be doing more evil than good right. with that. But to sit in relationship with the creator and with creation right. in that way and say, okay, what one or two things am I called to do? And then base your whole action plan and moral responsibility around that. I think it's interesting. My parents actually decided to do that. Um, several years ago, my dad retired from a company and then went through the training to become a certified financial planner. He has a degree in economics, an MBA in finance. He's you know been interested in this world for a long time. And when he did that, I guess he and my mom sat down and said, okay, what is our family um, giving going to go towards? If we, where are we going to volunteer our time? Where are we going to give money? And they said, we want it to be around food security and, and I think homelessness. And whenever 
they see something in the world that's happening, they remind each other, okay, what are we concerned about? What, you know, where do we say our money and our time wow. is going to go? I find this to be fascinating. Because most people don't do that. No, most right. people don't do that at all. I don't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hmm, this is a really interesting practice. Um, but, you know, and, and that I think um, gives, it gives my dad focus and it relieves anxiety from my mom because, you know, they're obviously different personalities, but, you know, my mom is a giver. I think that's one of her spiritual gifts. And to come up with a plan of how are we going to address live into issues, the gifts. live yeah. into the gifts, yeah. you know, she would give to everything. Um, but, you know, my dad would not have that. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> so, you know, this whole understanding of moral responsibility and and family or personal if you're a single you know responsibility in terms of aligning your gifts with the power that god has given us right, right. and our free will it's just it's very fascinating well it, it i mean you can go down a real rabbit hole with this mm -hmm. and decide oh my god i shouldn't have any possessions at all and give everything away and then you're living like a pauper and there's nothing in scripture that supports that in fact there's a lot in scripture that supports self-care yes and we are not good at that mm. and if you look at this love requires freedom freedom requires risk risk entails more responsibility if we do not love ourselves then we are not loving what the Creator created. Hmm. And there's an awful lot of people that are struggling with self-compassion, including me, and self-love. And the flip side of that, when you walk into this relationship, is then it, you know you start to look at it and go, oh "My gosh, I should be just giving everything away." <laughs> and then that could be in a a whole world hurt. Hmm. People started doing that. Mm -hmm. But he does make a point in here, made me think about it when you were saying about your parents that um, world hunger is our, our fault, collectively. There's, oh. no, we, there's no reason for world hunger. No. Food insufficiency is a solvable problem. And yet, yeah, in reality, it's not even a problem. Like, it, the distribution aspect of it right. is, is more the problem. Um, you know, I was talking with a friend last week and he was making fun of me and sort of himself because I, we went to Moe's and I love Moe's. I'm not paid by Moe's, not a commercial, <laughs> but I got the tofu in my burrito bowl. And so as he comes up behind me with the chicken, he's like, I can't believe you got the chicken. Why are you eating animals? Like... <laughs> I'm not a vegetarian, but as we sat down to eat our lunch, I was like, you know, I'm trying to find ways to reduce my carbon footprint. And one of those choices that I've made is to eat more vegetable products and not eat as much animal stuff. And because I'm not giving up my travel, <laughs> you know, and we have to have these conversations with ourselves. 
Like, well, yeah, you. I what's mean, my moral that. responsibility? Yeah. What is God calling me to? What is God not calling me to? He's okay. clearly not calling me to be a vegetarian, so we're not going to go there. <laughs> or to fast. Fasting for yeah. me is a problem. Mm. I fast from things, not food. Mm-hmm. Although I'll go all day without eating, but it's not a fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look at the disciplines related to that, and all of them have good purposes, mm-hmm. we aren't all called to do all of them. No. And that's that's another thing that I think people, especially, can always tell a newbie Christian. <laughs> by the over enthusiasm by which they attack how they're going to live these things out with love requiring freedom, freedom requiring risk, and risk entails moral responsibility. And after a while, you just want to turn around to them and say, you will wear out soon. <laughs> Good you luck wear with out that. soon, and then you will have a crash, and then you're going to have to reassess this relationship because you have gone off the deep end. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we all do that when we first come. I was going to say, I resemble those remarks. It's like new love. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when you first fall in love, you do all these crazy things that six months later you go, yeah, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. There's that reevaluation point where you're like, hmm, that might not have been such a good idea. I think I need to rein myself in a little bit. Yeah. Because otherwise you just... You keep running into the wall. <laughs> it hurts. Thinking something's going to change. Yeah. You know, Albert yeah. Einstein's famous definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, thinking you're going to get a different result. Right. Eh. And that, that I think, comes to moral responsibility as well. Right. And with the blueprint worldview... It's almost like, to me, it seems from the outside, like, okay, I'm going to run into this wall over and over again because I think that's what God wants. And that's what God is is asking me to do. Yeah, I can, in some ways, I can, I can see that. The biggest problem I have with it is how it, it puts God in the driver's seat of evil mm-hmm. and it allows us to then not have as much moral responsibility as what we're called to have. Mm. And the risk-taking thing, I think, is the hardest. I think the one in the the middle is always the hardest. Mm. Whenever you're doing any kind of psychotherapy or any kind of, we won't go into what happens in spiritual direction, but any of that, (laughs) the middle is always the hardest. Mm -hmm. And you have to get through the middle to get to the next point. And I think the idea of the risk, yeah and it goes a little bit to prayer which is going to be another episode oh stay tuned for that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah things might start to fly um but adam hamilton has a book called why um and there's a subtitle and i don't remember it but in that he talks about you know why god does not answer prayer the way that we think God should answer prayer. And one of the explanations that he gives is that we are created human beings in the image of God with free will and created as co-heirs and co-laborers with God. That's the moral responsibility. And that's that's the moral responsibility. We We have something in us 
that calls us to action. Action is not required for faith or salvation, but if we are part of the kingdom of God, there is going to be action involved. Right. And so to say, God, you know, I really would love it to use the hunger thing. If you would, you know, send food to those people who are starving in Africa or, you know, Mongolia or, you know, please or stop. Or your backyard. Or your, or your backyard. <laughs> yeah. One in four children go to school hungry. Yes. In the richest country in the world. Uh -huh. That is, that is its own diatribe <laughs> <laughs> in terms of a lack of us actioning right. our moral responsibility. But to pray for it is one thing, and we're called to pray, but at the same time, there's a moral action that we are required to take. Right. Yeah. So to pray for it and then do nothing to feed people. Jesus didn't say... Do you love me? Pray for me. He said, do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He calls us to action even in the things that we espouse. And I, you know, you and I face that with human trafficking. We're mm -hmm. not going to go out there and bust human traffickers. Mm -hmm. So what's our, what's our responsibility to do that? And um, uh, International Justice Mission had the thing on their website where they were asking people to to send it. Mm -hmm. And if you clicked on the button, it automatically sent it to your representatives. You put in your, I got the most amazing email back from Senator Casey. Mm -hmm. That was something I could do that I felt I had a moral responsibility to do because the it's not just the Safe Harbor bill. It's now the bill that's coming up that would create grant funding for mm -hmm. agencies and organizations that are going in and trying to free the millions of people that are enslaved <clears throat> in human trafficking. And that was something that I could physically do. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's more coming, but <laughs> and not at the moment. And that, that's where the discernment part comes in, in yes. terms of moral responsibility. It's not just, okay, what is, because human trafficking is one of my things. Right. Um, but I have also been trained and told enough times that sometimes helping can hurt. I think yes. we've all seen the photos on Facebook, whether they're true or not. I have not done the research, but of piles and piles and piles of clothes and just stuff. That is a very vivid and tangible description of when helping hurts. They don't necessarily know stuff. For me to try and rescue someone in human trafficking would be hurting some would be hurting that person, would potentially put myself in harm's way. Correct. And would do more damage than good. Correct. And so, you know, as much as I would love to go and meet the people that are being rescued from human trafficking. There's way more at stake Correct. than my desire. Correct. And sometimes what happens on the moral responsibility side is that we walk into things to make us feel better. And that's another whole <laughs> slippery slide of things that we get down. Yeah, because moral responsibility requires discernment and self-awareness enough to be able to right. know 
when God is asking us to take action versus when we feel that it's something we want to do based out of our ego or sense of self or whatever that is. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's a relationship <laughs> because you grow in the relationship. Well, the flip side of that is if you're in a relationship and only one person's working it, yeah, that's not a relationship. Mm -hmm. So if God's the only one working this relationship and we're not responding, mm -hmm. then God isn't in a relationship with us mm -hmm. because because we're not reciprocating. Now God is hitting the wall. And he knows that definition of insanity. And he's going to say, okay, I knocked several times. And you kept saying, talk to the hand. I'm not home. Yeah. So there's going to be the relationship part. It has to be reciprocal. We have a part that we have to do. And we don't, we are not called to do God's part. We are called to do our part. And frequently what we want to do is God's part. Because somehow we think that's easier. I, and isn't that silly? Which is so peculiar. Yeah. Humans are crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we do. We think it's easier to do God's part than it is to do our part. I, th I think of it in terms of salvation and helping people along their journey into relationship with Christ. We try and convict people. Yes, beat them over the head with the Bible. Here, leave this. Where Your life will be better. Yeah. Which, that's not promised in Scripture at all. No. It's, okay, you will have relationship with me. And oh, by the way, <laughs> welcome to suffering. The doors are wide open. Come on. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. <laughs> And by the way, people are going to throw stuff at you. You know, people are going to persecute you. Blessed are these people and blessed are those who are persecuted. Welcome to the club. Yes. Jesus stands there with a big smile, open arms. And it's like, hey. And most of us say, don't tell me that cross story again. I've heard it enough. <laughs> yeah. It really wasn't that bad. <laughs> I think those words have came out of my mouth. I think those words have come out of my mouth in spiritual direction, if I remember correctly. Well, that's possible. <laughs> but some of the stuff is just crazy. And yeah. when you think about it, you go, all right, so why would anybody sign up for this freedom and moral yeah. responsibility gig? Because there's no greater love. Yeah, that's what love is. And with love comes suffering because we do things in love because we're human and we live in a fallen world that hurt other people unintentionally and sometimes intentionally and um, in the end love wins mm -hmm. and that's the good news in a nutshell in the end love wins but mm -hmm. in the relationship we have to work through some stuff yeah there's and gonna be struggle and right. turmoil and Jesus, sadness and Jesus said in the world you will have trouble but I have overcome the world so there, there in, as Shakespeare says, lies the rub. <laughs> but my favorite Shakespeare quote in this was something that really made me pause. Because he quoted Shakespeare in here, and it was one of the things that kind of hurt my heart. Mm. And he said, the lilies that fester smell far worse than the weeds. Mm. And when I heard in that, when I read it, was the corruption of the best is the worst. 
And I thought, of all of the people that had the potential for great good, that chose great evil, mm. that's the great grief. That's the greatest suffering for God, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the midst of all of that, we have hope. <laughs> yes, we have great hope. We have great hope in the, in the midst of suffering. Well, and one of the things I thought was a great hope was that, you know, he talks about chaos and order are complementary mm -hmm. and that creativity comes out of that mm -hmm. and that that's part of the design. Mm -hmm. So we not only serve a God of love, but we serve a creative God who allows enough chaos for creativity to arise and create beauty in the world. Mm -hmm. And we have to be willing to, in, in some way, embrace the chaos. Yes. In yeah. order to experience that beauty. Yes. So that is it for our episode with Dr. Mary Beth Morrison. A big thank you to Mary Beth for her time and energy in reading the book by Greg Boyd, Satan and the Problem of Evil, Constructing a Trinitarian Warfare Theodicy. Um, if you couldn't tell, Mary Beth and I roll deep, uh, as they say, and um, she is one of my favorite people and always brings an interesting perspective to life and, and spirituality. So I hope that you are blessed, um, or at least were given something to think about from listening to this episode. And I wish you grace and peace and joy for today. Take care, and we'll see you in two weeks.